0: And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Good afternoon. Welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. And today we'll be discussing not just how we can transform the culture, but why we should be working to transform the culture. Um, I'm Noel Sturt. I'm an attorney and partner at the law firm of Malcolm Baker in Chicago. We are Christian attorneys that focus on serving the body of Christ with all its legal needs. We do everything from zoning to estate planning, not-for-profit administration, to religious freedom in the courts uh you can find out more about us by going to maukbaker.com, baker.com m-a-u-c-k-b-a-k-e-r.com or call us 312-726-1243 312-726-1243 you can also follow us online facebook twitter keep up to date on what's going on in the law and in the marketplace uh there's a lot going on in our culture today, uh, a lot that depresses me. Today, our guest is Dr. Andrew Sandlin. Dr. Andrew Sandlin of the Center for Cultural Leadership. Had the privilege of uh, hearing you at the Litigation Academy for the Alliance Defending Freedom. And Dr. Sandlin, just thank you so much for coming on.
1: Well, thank you very much. No, good to be on this afternoon. I'm very appreciative of hearing what you guys do. I think you're doing specifically what uh, needs to be done, certainly one of the things that needs to be done to recapture our culture. So it's great to be on the air with you today.
0: Well, yeah, so let's, uh, let's talk more about, just first, what is the Center for Cultural Leadership? Why did it start? Why did you found the, the, the center? And uh, let's talk more about what you're, you're trying to accomplish.
1: Yeah, I started the Center for Cultural Leadership about 15 years ago. It is a Christian think tank. I kind of joke with audiences and ask them, what do tanks do? <laughs> well, they roll over and blow up things. And that's part of what we do, roll over and blow up bad ideas, and I'd like to add, uh, articulate good ideas, in the effort to influence Christians, to influence culture in a distinctly uh, Christian way.
0: Okay, and where uh, can they uh, find out more about the center?
1: Yeah, you've easy website, christianculture.com. Just remember, Christian Culture and just put it together solidly, christianculture.com. And I hope your listeners will visit the website and learn a little more deeply about what we do.
0: Yeah, and this is a great place to go. This is a lot of uh, just great thought, uh, great work, uh, a great team of scholars that are writing about critical issues, uh, current issues. Uh, I I don't know. Uh, If you're like me, I'm looking at the culture around us and saying, how do we get here? How do we get with a Clinton and a Trump? How do we get with a, a lot of things going around? So just what when you look out at the culture uh, today in America, what do you see, Dr. Sandlin?
1: Well, I see uh, certainly several hundred years of apostasy that's really accelerated culturally in the last uh, 50 or 60 years, uh, quite frankly, as a result of our country uh, socially, not just individually and ecclesiastically, but socially turning its back on god and his moral law which is set forth in his bible and of course there are consequences when that happens and whether it is uh, abortion or same-sex marriage or the depredations of the state deprivation of religious liberty uh, and we could go on and on with those issues what happens little by little is a society turns its back on god and it begins to erode and suffer severe consequences so that's specifically what has happened there are a number of reasons that's happened but uh, things are in bad shape though i believe uh, the bible promises that little by little they were, will turn around sure
0: and i think we're watching romans uh, 1 play out we've got a bunch of people exchanging the truth for lies and uh, that's uh, that's that's hard to watch so uh, as we get into this more i, I want to talk more about why as followers of Jesus in all different frames of life, pastors, attorneys, uh, you know, at Malcolm Baker, we're Christian attorneys. This is our mission field as we see it. We feel like this is just a much our mission field as it would be a missionary going to Papua New Guinea. Um, why we get involved in this? I mean, it seems like it's easy to kind of get back, hold ourselves off, you know, become monks and uh, study our word and uh, focus on internal discipleship. But do we owe any obligation to the culture at large? Do we owe any obligation to trying to redeem culture? So uh, let's talk about that. Where do you start with that when you're talking to a pastor or somebody at your local church as to, well, you see the local culture the culture around us, what is your obligation to it? What is your calling in it?
1: Boy, no, that really is a fundamental question, and that was the right one to ask. I think you really got to start where, where God starts in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, And as you read through the Bible, you see kind of a creation, fall, redemption paradigm. God created everything very good in the space of six days. But of course, we know from Genesis 3 that man fell. But God didn't stop then. He promised in Genesis 3.15 a Redeemer. And the key to understand is the Redeemer, as Jesus Christ, is redeeming everything. The problem, though, is that in the last hundred years, the Church has kind of turned away from that and turned salvation into sort of an individual transaction that Jesus died on the cross for example to, to take me and my family to heaven and get a few more folks sure. trusting the gospel not understanding that everything that was lost in Eden everything must be regained and that means all of creation and all of human culture little by little so our responsibility in the gospel isn't just to tell the gospel to people to get them to go to heaven It is to speak the gospel and the truth of the word of God in its totality to redeem and recapture everything that was lost in Eden. So, which is to say, everywhere sin is, that must be redeemed. And that means law and education and music and literature and science and technology and theater, and we could go on and on. Why? Because sin has infected each one of these things. Now, this is called, a lot of theologians have called it the cultural mandate given in Genesis 1 to Adam and Eve, to exercise stewardship in the earth. That is man's fundamental calling. So when man fell, and then God came to redeem him, God didn't throw that away. We know that God gave that to Noah, that same commission that he gave to Adam and Eve, he gave to Noah after the fall. And he kind of reasserts it in different ways. In fact, in many ways, the Great Commission in Matthew 28 is sort of like that cultural mandate adapted to this uh, post-fall Situation: We're called to make disciples of the nations. Why? So they'll glorify God in all of the earth and in all that they do.
0: Yes. This is Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Noel Stewart with the law firm of Malcolm Baker. We're speaking with Dr. Andrew Sandlin. Uh, so, yes, we've got this cultural mandate. Does that mean now? I mean, do we have that mandate now? Are we supposed to be acting, you know, aren't we just going to be waiting until Jesus comes and fixes this whole thing? Yeah,
1: good question. Of course, uh, uh, everything will only be totally and finally fixed when the Lord comes. But, of course, the gospel and the power of the Spirit of God are operative now, and therefore they're operative in everything now. It's interesting that some people believe that we should preach the gospel to individuals now and save individuals now, but don't understand, well, it's the same gospel that's to apply to law and to education and to philosophy and to uh, economics and business and all these other other areas of life. It's the same gospel, so it's operating simultaneously on all of these areas. So the answer is... Yes, we're responsible to preach the gospel and to declare the gospel and to operate redemptively in all areas of life now.
0: And I think um, a lot of, you know, I think we're missing in the discipleship component. He said, teach them to obey all that I commanded. Uh, There's a command element, and uh, the making of disciples is more than just Uh, evangelizing the lost, giving them, you know, what you alluded to, kind of the ticket to heaven. But it's a way in which uh, people are brought under, you know, into the kingdom of God, under the commands of God, not just for some type of authoritarian structure, uh, but because God knows that this, by doing so, this brings life. This brings life to individuals, families, neighborhoods, and communities.
1: Absolutely. People really misunderstand that. Thinking that God's moral law is some heavy, onerous thing. Well, it can't save us, but after we're saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's law is a wonderful thing, because God knows what makes us happy. God knows fundamentally what makes Him happy, and His moral law is designed for us for our benefit, not just His, but for our benefit. And a lot of Christians don't seem to understand that.
0: Yeah, and I think not only that, uh, you know, there may be a lack of understanding, but I don't know, uh, I'm sure you've seen it too, but in in my efforts as a Christian lawyer, trying to take these cases on, trying to promote the cause of religious liberty, trying to protect the unborn, try to advocate for uh, legislation. I, I, I Sometimes I get this response from people in various churches and various sectors where they look at me and they say, you know, that's not what we should be about. We need to be about, in their words, proclaiming the gospel, and uh, that's it. And at this point, uh, you need to kind of hold back on your efforts as a Christian lawyer, pull out of the political uh, talk. And and what I've seen, and maybe this is too hard of a way of putting it, but there are many still in the church that remain uh, sanctimoniously apolitical.
1: Yeah, that's right. By the way, I agree with them that you need to be getting back to the gospel. Yes, but they don't understand how wide the gospel is. The gospel is the message of Jesus Christ to redeem all of life. So when you are working in the legal profession to stand for unborn children, to stand for a marriage, to stand for religious liberty, and all these other issues, well, that's turning back the uh, the sin in the culture. And that's the calling of Christians. It's just as much the gospel as, quote, getting people to heaven.
0: And I think that's great. So coming up, let's talk more about that. Let's talk more about how local pastors, local ministries, can be involved in uh, affecting, redeeming, transforming the culture, uh, pursuant to the cultural mandate that I think is clear in Scripture, and uh, you know how we can encourage more uh, followers of Jesus to get into the various other fields. Because I, I think if you look at the church at large, you have a just a a, a large group of people to think, well, you know, maybe that's for my pastor to do, or maybe that's for someone else to do, but the actual work of transforming the culture, that's not me. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just a teacher. I'm just a lawyer. Uh, let's talk more about that. So coming up, we're going to talk to Dr. Andrew Sandlin of the Center for Cultural Leadership. More about that. I'm Noel Starrett of Malkin Baker and you're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. You can reach us at Malkin Baker, 312-726-1243. Again, 312- 726 1243. Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Noel Sterrett, partner at the law firm of Mauk and Baker, a Christian law firm in Chicago. You can reach us 312 726 1243. Again, 312 726 1243. And we're talking with Dr. Andrew Sandlin of the Center for Cultural Leadership. Go online, uh, look at his organization up, christianculture.com. Easy to remember, christianculture.com. We are discussing how followers of Jesus owe an obligation and actually have a mandate from from God to transform the culture. So, Dr. Sandlin, let's pick up where we left off. We've got a, a church, a local church here, uh, people in local churches all across the Chicagoland area, and uh, I want you to speak directly to the people that may not be a pastor, associate pastor, youth pastor. A uh, priest uh what is their role how can they get involved how can they see this as their cultural mandate gospel mandate maybe even their mandate to make disciples
1: yeah no that's a good question i get it quite a bit it's not the calling of every single christian obviously to be a pastor of a church or get involved in law or even be a school teacher but every single believer has a sphere of influence and for moms of course homeschool moms for example if their children and uh, for dads who are working at any job, it is to influence the people around them, first for the gospel of Jesus Christ, a fuller gospel, and to influence believers to understand the truth that wherever we are, we're responsible to press the claims of Jesus Christ, not just narrowly in our family, but wherever we're working and in whatever we're doing. It's to influence peoples, by the power of the Spirit, of course, influence Christians' thinking so that whatever they're doing, and I do mean whatever they're doing, I don't care if they're digging ditches or they're writing code or selling real estate, is to do it for the glory of God and do it in a distinctive Christian way. In other words, to act Christianly in all that we do. That is the start, and that's the basic premise for everything.
0: And how do we equip pastors to understand this better so that they can equip the people in their churches?
1: Well, for one thing, I think pastors really, many of them at least, need to change their theology. It's uh, interesting to think about the pastors at the time of the founding of our own country. They didn't only pour the truth into their own church and grow their own church and have all sorts of Sunday school programs and that sort of thing. They recognized their obligation to the wider community, to the society, and they spoke authoritatively the Word of God, the truths of the Word of God to that community. So I think pastors need to understand that they have a responsibility not just to their church, not just their denomination, but to work to redeem by the power of the Spirit of God everything, every city, every town, every locale around them. That's a, that's a huge start. If they understood that fact, and not just that they're getting people ready for heaven, but they're called to exercise stewardship over the earth, that would be a huge paradigm shift. And there would be a massive change in our own country.
0: And I think that's uh, very important. And Dr. Francis Schaeffer pointed out, uh, you know, that what we're advancing is not Christian truths. We're advancing truth. Uh, You know, we don't have uh, denominational truths that are of no relevance to anybody else around us or people outside of our denomination. We are advancing uh, the truth according to the word of God, according to the creator of the universe who created all things, who defined what is true, what is good. And uh, so I think in some sense, uh, those that are outside of the church say, well, look, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. So how do you respond to that in a pluralistic uh, country like America, at least as it's become?
1: Well, it really is interesting, the hypocrisy of that sort of pluralism and relativism. I mean, uh, they can say, well, you have a certain truth and I have a certain truth, but I mean, stealing is wrong for everybody and murder is wrong for everybody because they're a violation of the law of God. So we have to have the courage to take the moral law of God, which applies universally. And by the way, according to Romans, everyone really knows that. Down deep in their heart and their conscience, they know these truths. They may deny them, but they know them. Yes. And speak that truth authoritatively, graciously, of course, not in a harsh and unkind way, but authoritatively to unbelievers wherever they are and say, This is what the Word of God says, this is how you're called to act. If Christians had that courage under the power of the Spirit, it is remarkable what kind of changes we could see.
0: Yeah, and I I really appreciate what the center is doing, especially highlighting the fact that this we have to speak authoritatively and not do. And I think uh, Dr. Brian Matson pointed this out in a recent blog that he pointed out. We're not just appealing to reason or or natural law, uh, devoid of or apart from the gospel or the the authority of God's divine word. So, talk a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, it's interesting what happens. We can easily be seduced in a secular culture to uh, sort of uh, alter the playing field and move it on to a secular playing field, such that we'll say, "Well, I think that worldlings and unbelievers and secularists will listen to us if we can make a good argument apart from God's moral law in the Bible, apart from Jesus Christ." But that's not what we're called to do. it's right. What the Apostle Paul. For instance, in Athens, here he is speaking about God's universal revelation, which, of course, is there and which is evident, God's moral law everywhere in nature, and yet he concludes by speaking of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. So we need to have the courage to stand up and speak authoritatively about God's moral law revealed, yes, in human conscience and yes, in creation, but also authoritatively and more fully in the Bible.
0: You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Noel Sterrett of the Law for and Baker. We're speaking with Dr. Andrew Sandlin of the Center for Cultural Leadership. You can go to his website, christianculture.com, find out more about Dr. Sandlin's work, the work of his team uh, of scholars who are writing on this issue, writing on this very issue of how the followers of Jesus in America, uh, and frankly across the world, have a cultural mandate. Uh, At this point, let's turn and focus uh, the last segment here on getting involved in what the other side or what many would call legislating morality. This is often a way in which uh, Christians are kind of scared out of uh, getting involved politically. You know, it it sounds so good uh, or so bad of us to try to legislate our morality. Uh, Let's talk about legislation and morality and what are we talking about here, and how would you respond to that uh, criticism?
1: Well, it's interesting and almost a little amusing. Um, all legislation is a legislation of morality. Now, maybe a good, it may be a good morality or a bad one. I mean, whether it's uh, speed limit laws or car safety laws or even increased taxation. Sure. There's, all, there's always a moral premise behind the law. That's why laws are passed. So everybody legislates morality. The question is whose morality? And we understand that the right morality is that revealed by God in his moral law. And therefore, Christians getting involved in the profession of law and voting and, quote, legislating morality is inescapable. Every time we vote, every time a legislator votes, he is legislating morality. The question is, which morality? And, of course, Christians know, believers know, and even some unbelievers recognize, because of God's common grace, that to God's morality, revealed in his moral law, is the morality that should prevail in a society because it'll be free and strong and prosperous.
0: Yeah, and I think the prosperous side of this is key because more and more I'm understanding political and legislative and even the cases that we're filing in court, in some sense, are a way in which we're obeying the commandment to love our neighbor. Because we know, I mean, I know as a Christian attorney, and the, the legislators know, and I think we know as citizens, that they're really is very few things that affect our neighbor more in an adverse way or in a positive way than bad or good laws.
1: That's right. And what you're really saying is an important point. Noel. If we don't really stress passing good laws, and of course, rescinding bad laws, we're really saying we don't care about our neighbor. And we don't often think about it that way. But that's true. We love our neighbor by passing legislation that's going to cause flourishing in his life and his family and so on. And how do we know that? Because what well, God created us, he understands the cosmology, he understands the creation, so his laws are specifically designed, not just, as I said before, for his glory, but for man's delight.
0: Yeah, and I think here's the, here's the hard question at the end. So we, we, if we recognize that we have a cultural mandate, we, have, uh, we need to be involved, we need to uh, bring to bear uh, God's law, God's moral law, on the laws of the land, how much of it do we try to bring to bear? Because God's laws and God's commands are are, uh, plain in Scripture. Um, But in terms of how much can a a non-believer bear the law of the Lord, because in in many respects uh, we as followers of Jesus still can't uh, live up uh, to the benchmark that he sets uh, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit.
1: Yeah, that's why I use that little adjective, moral law. Okay. Uh, there are specific laws, of course, in the Old Testament, like with the Jews, the laws of Jubilee and the dietary laws that it seems clear to me have been set aside in the New Covenant era. But underneath all of that and summarized in the Ten Commandments is God's moral law that should govern any society. Sure. And for somebody to say, well, it's really ironic. We shouldn't sort of impose any of God's law on unbelievers. Well, so we shouldn't impose the law prohibiting murder. We should allow murder. We should allow theft. Well, they would never say that. So obviously they want to accept a moral law of some kind. So we need to ask, should we trust man's law, sociological law, pragmatic law, the law of Eastern elite law schools, or should we trust God's law? And the interesting thing is God's laws are in number dramatically fewer than man's laws.
0: Yes, that's for sure. And I think at this point... Um, we are seeing over and over again, it's not just a... There used to be uh, the, the mindset of live and let live, but I think at this point we're seeing growing uh, push to establish a new orthodoxy uh, that, you know, we're doing away with gender, we're doing away with marriage, we're doing away with basically the order that God has created. You speak to that briefly.
1: Yeah, well, I'll tell you this. I want to say it starkly. This really is a war on reality. Yes. It's a war on cosmology. That's what gender fluidity is. It's essentially man, well, I can't even say that, can I? Humans these days, <laughs> shaking their fist in God's face saying, we don't like the laws of creation.
0: Yes, and We I don't think... like
1: your law, and therefore we're going to identify, quote, identify as, or recreate ourselves, not in the image, your image, but in our own image. Now the fact is, God's law, moral law, cannot be successfully overturned. It's as if somebody's shaking their fist to God saying, I don't like gravity well you can try to define it but eventually you're going to fail Right. and in the same way all of this gender fluidity and all of this war on god's cosmology it will all fail but in the process of failing it can do great damage it's the same damage as if you try to fight against god's law of gravity
0: dr andrew sandlin center for christian uh, cultural leadership Take out uh, a look at his website, uh, christianculture.com. You're listening to, for, to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. We're on every Saturday at 3 o'clock. I hope you turn, tune in next week. Uh, call us if you have a legal need, 312-726-1243. going to have to serve somebody. Yes,
1: indeed, you're going to have to save somebody.